Hello and welcome to episode 20 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. We recorded this before the defeat in San Jose. <laughs> Sorry, the, the win in San Jose, thanks to Eric Hattaro's wonderful control when he was through in the last minute. Yeah. Um, or the draw in San Jose, where unfortunately the mass brawl in the pitch overshadowed everything when Joe Cannon ran on, punched Brad Knighton and said, this is my position. But, whatever, however it played out at Buckshaw, whether I got bitten by termites or not, we're back for episode 20. And we have the same motley crew that we had before, with my beautiful bearded, mocha-coloured co-host, Steve. Hello, everybody. The mocha player of the week. Yes. I'm talking of players of the week, player of every week, international playboy and nude model since we last spoke, Jay Duke. Hello Michael, nice to be here again. I wasn't really pleased that the staple covered your whole bottom bit, but well, it was nice what you had. The, the, the extra large alligator clip. Yeah, was that yeah. what it was? Oh, yeah. Snappy. Yeah. Um, talking of snappy, someone who's always there with his snappy response is Stephen Lamoth. Oh, you put me on the spot now. Talking of spot, someone who's sitting here in his spotted underwear because he's waving it around his head with his shoe. One off, many people in Curva Collective, not a head honcho, Zachary Meisenheimer. What's up? Now, we forgot to mention in the last podcast, we actually recorded episode 19 and episode 20 out in the interior because we thought we'd take AFTN out to the community, so we've driven a long, long way to Langley, um, and we're recording in a church. Hopefully, we do not all burn while we're recording this, but we could go down in flames like the Whitecaps season. Which brings us to our first topic of the night, the Whitecaps season. Gentlemen, do you think the Caps have underperformed Overperformed, I know I'm joking with that one. Or are they where you expect them to be at this stage of the season? Fighting for their playoff lives. Well, I think um, it, I think you have to hold them up to their own objectives. And so I think we've obviously underperformed in the Voyager's Cup because we did not win it. And, uh, again. We def- again. And we definitely could have and uh, more, more importantly should have. So I think we've underperformed in that competition. I think in the league... We are underperforming at, at the moment that, you know, the season could end on a high uh, on form. It's not feeling like that's going to happen necessarily. But um, I think that at the moment, I'd say I think most people would say we've under we've underperformed because we expect the, uh, the, the progression to be even further ahead. And um, the Cascadia Cup still still out there. So that's uh, something that still has to be decided. I think we're on course or maybe underperforming in that competition. Do you think it will be Seattle or Portland? I, I would love I lo- would love for us to go yeah, run, runner runner and uh, home and away. Uh, obviously, we'd love to. I'd love to win the. We'd love to win the Cascadia Cup at home. I think, but uh, we'd it would be fun to win it at, in Seattle again, like the last time we won it. Who was anyone there yeah. last time we won it? Yeah. Were you there? On the, no, I thought you were oh. going to say are you oh. in Seattle this time. Well, who's going this time? <coughs> I, I, at the moment, I'm planning on going, but um, 
I know it's a lot of money. I'm going to wait and see. Actually, I think the beauty of winning it there would be. Don't you Wednesday get to the games for free? Wednesday, probably 150 people. Like, uh, it'll be at least 300. Oh, 250. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, I, I think that's going to be a really tough one to get full down for because it's midweek. Well, there's there's there's, are, there's already like at least two to 250 tickets sold. And the Southsiders are are flying a plane down there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, not the Southsiders, but yeah. Some no, group of uh, some Christmas. members of the Southsiders yeah. are maybe going to join the Mile High Club, although they've only got thirty minutes. <coughs> I know some of them; it's probably more than enough time for them. Wings over Cascadia, um, is that what it's called? The trip. Yep. Um, and then, um, and then, obviously, the the final goal uh, to have, to host a home cup match in MLS is still up for grabs. Up for grabs. Yeah. yeah. So, Stephen, I mean, how do you see this season? Going, are you disappointed? Yeah, I'm pretty uh, disappointed myself. I think that they, when you look at the starting lineup from what could have been at the start of the year to now, I think other than uh, <clears throat> the first two victories is kind of a slow start after that. And then really other than one victory in New York in a stretch of schedule where we should have got results being, was it June or July? June was when we had our great month. That was four wins. Well, it wasn't a great month. It was DC United, Chivas. <laughs> it was great results-wise. Right. It was great results-wise with one good victory, that being the New York victory, right? Yeah. So I think, you know... Basically, they beat the bottom dwellers and then one good game and then... Which they should have lost, too, because yeah. there were a couple chances at the end that were just like... <laughs> well, should have, you know, it's on the road, you, you take your chances, you get the victory, all, all, you know, power to them for that. But other than that, there's a scattered uh, good victory here and there, essentially, right? So I think it's been totally underwhelming as far as that goes. And Jay, I, I mentioned in the last podcast... Are we a team that's only had one good month, being June, or have we just underperformed, or are, did that month make us think we were actually a better team than we were? Well, I think I, I would like to go back to even something that we talked about the last time I was on the podcast when we were after the, the uh, Champions League final, and that's that we were talking about how that they were progressing and that the results weren't quite there. And I'm okay if the results aren't there as long as I can see a progression and I can see where they're going with it. And I could see that. I remember, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that game in Houston, when Houston had that just unreal home streak going, and we went down there and we played fantastic. We should have won that game. Mm -hmm. And there was a few even road games throughout that stretch uh, and some home games that, you know, we were getting draws instead of wins that we looked really good though, just everything wasn't quite clicking. And then it seemed like everything started to click. And in June, we had a, a great month. And then I, I'm as baffled as probably Martin Rennie seems to be with what happened. Because in his defense, he, they'll never say this, but the, you know we've had a pretty tough time with injuries, especially in the back line. The fact that we haven't been leaking more goals because we're playing with a third and fourth or fourth and fifth, um, you know, center back pairing is, is pretty amazing. Uh, so they, they've had their challenges. Not that everybody else hasn't, but we've had it pretty tough too when your number one allegedly center back goes down in the sixth minute. Uh, 
they're certainly underperforming, but the problem is, is that it's downhill again. And, and that's the thing that's really concerning. And, and I'm all for sticking behind a guy like Martin Rennie. If, if we can say, look, he's learning. This is what he's, what he's good at. This is where we're progressing. And I can see things taking shape. But I can't see what it is. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, that's, that's a good point because he's been in two years. And obviously two years isn't a long time to, to get a whole new ethos in a football club. Um, maybe he does deserve another year, but he has to show that he's learning. And I agree, he doesn't seem to be giving out anything that makes you think that he is learning from his mistakes. He's just making the same mistakes that he made last year again this year. And Jay makes a good point with the start of the year is that, yeah, the results weren't necessarily there, but there was that buildup. So having those results in June made it like, you know, we were going over something. We were getting yeah. even though they were games we should have won other than the New York one. You know, it was still getting over some sort of hump and progressing. And then from that moment forward, well, you know, what's happening? The thing since? is, I can't understand is the, the fact that he, they can't get a finger on why this team plays so differently on the road. Like, it, to be honest, it looks like they sometimes on the, when they play on the road, it's like they don't even... Tr this team has just got put together. And they've never trained at all together. And they've trained all year, right? They've spent a full preseason together. And that's what baffling to me, that they have not, never... Sometimes they don't look like a team at all. And they look like a bunch of individuals who are trying to get forward or backwards or defend or whatever. They, don't, they seem scrambly at sometimes on the back end. So, I don't know. It, it's, it's been a big disappointment for me. Maybe the fact that he, if he hadn't made the playoffs last year, then we wouldn't have that many high expectations. But because he made the playoffs last year, there are those high expectations on him this year. Especially when you look to think that you have a stronger squad. Yeah. But so much is made of the fact that in MLS it's hard to win on the road, and it's not. I started to look at some stats early in the season, and other teams are doing it pretty regularly. The top consistent teams are going and playing on the road, and even when they're not getting results, if you watch the games, they're playing attacking football, and there's not a huge difference between how they play at home and how they play away. And the Whitecaps have shown it a little bit, like New York was one of the games where after the Montreal game, whether someone sat down maybe with Rennie and said, look, this is the month, if you don't go and do it this month, you're out the door. And we saw a whole different positive attitude in New York, in Seattle, in Kansas City. Yeah. And there, there were three away games, uh, DC to a certain extent, but it was hard because it's a weaker team. But against three top teams, they actually played aggressive. They went and attacked and they got some results. And it seems to be when they sit back, that's when they struggle. And it was fun to watch, right? It yeah, was fun that, to that's the thing as well. And, you know, that's when we're going to be watching on TV because here we're going to be there, right? So, yeah. you know. And you're wanting people at home to be watching those games and thinking, hey, they play good football, I'd like to go to the next game at BC mm -hmm. Place. And there was a big buzz about the club at that time of year. Mm -hmm. Um, the media were getting behind them and all the talk about oh can the White Cats become the second team in the city and then, no and then the people were also mentioning Supporter Shield they were like yeah which was like drastically like I don't know I never got that even when they started talking about it Supporter Shield like so early in the season they still were not playing totally up to their where they should be but people were I think they were over shooting this team where they were at that point well the Shield did come visit us so, oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they were though in second in the West what halfway ish mm. through the season a... yeah. it was before the Colorado game they were they, in second uh, place I agree with you they were never a team that was going to compete for the for, for the supporters shield but they were second in the West only a 
couple, I think it was like three or four points back. Of, yeah, and they had a game in hand. And yeah, so I like I, I I can see why people were optimistic at the time about it, but I I don't know what's happened that it's been just a complete. Uh, I don't know. Has anything happened since June? What Zach what? that you think has caused the team to be? Uh, affected in such a way. So it's time for the Alain Rochette segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that. The 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 turning point. You can you can give a turning point off the season, off the field, or you give a turning point on the field. It's up to you. What do you think is the turning point of this season? Me personally, I'm gonna put it down to the Philadelphia game when we lost the uh, unbeaten streak, and I'm gonna put it specifically. To June Marcus Davidson's headbutt, where we went down ten men. I don't know if it would have made a difference because they, 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 they were still attacking. They actually maybe played better without June on the field. But, but did they? Did, did that? I, I'm personally, I say that's on field was the turning point. What do you guys think? On field, off field turning point of the season. Well, it broke a magic bubble, right? We were undefeated at home. Yeah. It was like this magic thing that we had. And that made us... Have we won since? Yeah, we won one at home since. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 So it's like it popped... Uh, the magic was gone. The unicorns yeah. left the BC place and yeah. everything like that. Yeah, because before that, you know, you had that feeling every time, right? There was that comfort and, you know, we're up, we're going to win. It's a given, right? It was just... It just had that feel to it, and that was gone at that point. That was a pretty depressing match. Yeah. I mean, we, we got rid of some dead weight in the left-back slot. Do you think that had anything? <laughs> what? Okay, honestly, Michael, why did you... Why, oh, because I think, you, I think you'll bring up some valid points. Why, do you, why, why were you happy to see Alain go? I, I was just happy to see him go with the way that he played on the road. He was a different player on the road. And you, you need I a think player. Both fullbacks were different. Yeah, both <coughs> And you need fullbacks that are going to play the same home and away. And when he has clearly lost. Is that coaching? So here's well, the thing for me. If you get a horse race, if you get a, a racehorse, right? And you say, here, carry this Budweiser uh, wagon around town. Eventually, that racehorse is going to get sick and tired <laughs> of carrying that Budweiser around town, right? So, or any other beer. Yeah. Sorry. But Rochat was like a player with a lot of skill. And so was YP Lee. They're skilled guys. These are guys that have, you know, tactfully better players than we've traditionally seen. And he's going to play in America. And well. they want to play that way. And you're saying, here's what we want you to do. Drop a seven-yard hoof up the field. Get it hoof. Back to horses. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you're asking them to do, right? And then go, why are they not playing up to their potential, right? Let me let me ask you this then, then Michael. How many games did you see that Alain Rochat was subpar? Not just average. Not just like, oh, well, that'll do. Because let's be honest, yeah. Jordan Harvey on his best day is generally average. Yeah, he, he's he's not Alain Rochat. Like, I'm kind of just winding Zach by a little bit. But I, I did think at the time it wasn't as bad a move. He maybe had two or three subpar games. I just felt Rennie had lost eh, kind of belief in him. And as soon as the manager does that with the player, there's not really any coming back. And he's clearly done that with Davison as well. Whether he's punishing him because that probably is the big turning point, that headbutt. But a lot of the results we were getting before that Philadelphia game, I think they were covering the cracks up. Because we didn't play well. We were lucky against New England. They got the guy sent off. And we came back and won that. Mm. That was probably going to be our first home defeat. But 
it wasn't, and you have to take what played out, and it was that that headbutt. The Rashad thing, I don't know whether that could be put down as a turning point, though. It could be off the pitch, turning point. It, it could chemistry. be with some of the players, maybe, because the players are maybe starting to think, well, he's a really good player. They've let him go. And he was well-liked by a lot yeah. of some people in the dressing room, especially like like the Kofis and I think the Tibers. Because there must have been a spell as well that they maybe thought, if we don't play well, we're out. And maybe that coincided with them starting to play well and getting the results at the same time. I do, even, even some of the big wins, that, like the same time you're talking about, the 2 nothing Seattle win, which may have been the best, certainly that was the best atmosphere of the year, uh, had a blast. Yeah. It... it, it was a game that we could have lost. Like, like Brad yeah. Knighton made like four, like five alarm saves to keep us in that game. And that's one of the games that we were talking about where you, your keeper sometimes steals you some points or whatever. It looks great on paper. 2-0, Cascadia at home, first ever. We didn't really play all that well when you really consider it. Our really, truly best full, like closest to 90-minute full performances came way earlier in the season than that. Yeah, like you said, that Houston game, that was a great performance. The LA game that we won as well, that was kind of the turning point for the season going well, hmm. apart from the Voyager's Cup. But like in league, on a league basis, that, that win was like one of the monkeys off the back. But we were lucky in that, because I can't remember who it was now, but an LA guy missed a header just before we scored. Um, it was Zardes. Was it? I, don't, I, don't know. I think it was one of the defenders. He had a header, the ball came in, he hit it wide. Gonzalez. Free Gonzalez. Yeah. Gonzalez. If that had gone in, I'm not sure we would have come back and won that. And losing that and then losing the Voyager's Cup, that could have been the end of Rennie there and then. But I think the LA win gave him the month of June and then he turned it around in June. But one of the questions I posed in the article that we wrote last week was... When the team plays badly, is it the manager? Is it the players? They both have to take responsibility. It's always the manager that the buck stops with them because you look around the world and it's the managers that get the can. But is that fair? Well, if the players stink, then it's the manager that brought them in too. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, like, grand, in the grand scheme of things, it's the, the manager's fault in the end. And I, I, do, I see what your point is, is that if we just, to go back to your, your racing horses here... If if you don't got the horses to play in the race, then I don't care how good of a manager you are, and that's why so many guys think that Teeter could have done so much better here. Is that that was just a really crappy team that we had. Yeah. That's they weren't very good. So yeah, they were never going to play that well. But and they were picked by Teeter. Uh, a lot of some of the players. So yeah, it's got to end with with not Martin in the end. But a lot of it is not just it's it's not just that they're losing. It's like how they're losing and and what's happening in between. Like, and I don't know if like with this most recent game that we've seen, like we've seen a lot of lineup shuffling and trying different things, and we're still not sure. And everybody keeps talking about like the the chemistry and the. What's the identity of this team? I don't know what it is. I can't. I can't tell you what it is. We have a bunch of different pieces that all kind of fit into. Diff. Some guys are athletic. A couple guys are are technical. I I still have hope for Kobayashi. I I've I, I don't know why, but I've always thought that he's a really quality guy that could do really well. But he's purely a technical player. That's all he is. And if you put him with a bunch of athletic guys that can't do anything on the ball. Uh, the the goal that he scored was a perfect example of that. 
two guys with him, knew exactly what was going on, little triangle, yeah. around, bang, 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 real smart run, fools the defender, ball comes into him, side foot at home, yeah. beautiful. Totally yeah. Yeah. So if you're the manager, how are you going to play, right? Like, are you going to set up mm -hmm. triangles all over the field and play that style of football? When you have or are Hurtado you and Watson on the other side, who may not necessarily be... So what are you going to create, right? And that's, to me, so it comes down to the manager in that sense. You're either putting your players in a position to succeed, you're bringing in the wrong players, you're bringing in the wrong mix like we we really had three center backs and three center mids and two center forwards on the pitch last match right so it's like what are you trying to create here and then what kind of style of play are you are you gonna uh, incorporate into that lineup right so to me it just has to go to the manager I mean, there's a big thing made last year too many changes not going to repeat that mistake then this year we only bring in a goalkeeper was that the right thing? No, see, that that's where I, we were talking about this in the last podcast. It's, you can say, oh, last year was all these changes and it caused all these problems. Well, this year I think we've seen where even one significant change can, can cause similar unrest or it was at least has affected change. our form in a similar way. Um, at least in, in, to, some, to some significant degree. You know, anyway. And when you get to the human aspect of it. Because these guys are all like have lives and families and stuff. You're talking about a guy coming from Europe who's not used to this. And you can say, you know, his agent should explain, blah, 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 all these sorts of things. But you're coming into a different culture where you can get traded. And not only traded, but yeah. across the country. And then you've got With a no seven month, seven month pregnant or was she eight months No, she was, she was ready to drop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you throw all that in there. And you're, you know, if something happens to like a family member or something and I go to work that day, I'm not going to perform at my best because I'm going to have things in my head. My aunt just died or whatever, right? I'm not going to perform at my best. So you've put all those players in that situation where my, my mate has been shipped across the country with his pregnant wife staying here, separating that family. You've upset him. You've upset her. Your mates are upset. Right, yeah. so they're gonna react to that because you're humans. Right? Yeah. And Rennie is like, you know, Joe psychologist. You yeah. would think he would be a key cog in that. Well, right? he did. He did it the year before as well. Yeah. Er, yeah. Eric's wife was. So that's. I'd. I'd like to turn this question back to you guys. And women. Yeah. is that if, if that's what all the different managers around the different league all have their strengths and weaknesses. What is the one thing that Rennie hangs his hat on? And it seems to be that it's this his psychological approach to training and to the game and, and to all that. Is he even doing that job well? Like, if that's the one thing that we, that he can say, this is why I'm better than everybody else. It's not talent acquisition. It's not tactical analysis. It's not, it's... It's the psychology. It's getting the most mm -hmm. out of every single one of your players. Can you go down our roster and say, here are our players who have played way better than they've ever played before. There's, there's not very many at the, all. There, is, you could even say the negatives may even outnumber yeah, the yeah. positives. Which is when we, you know, we've talked about, Zach and I have talked about Sam and my concern with I'd rather not see Sam sign because I don't have that confidence in him and is that sort of, that sort of person is he going to get the best out of Sam or are we looking at Ashton Morgan part two where maybe when he's 24 he'll start looking good again right like are we going to crush him as a player and then hope he's got the strength and willpower to recreate himself as a mid-20 something or what right well I mean 
Rennie, he, he definitely seems good at the psychological side of the game. It is the big thing that he hangs his hat on. It's not going to work for all players. And he, he seems to like breaking players down like he did with Tiber and it was a success. He's probably tried to do it with some others that hasn't been a success and that's why they've gone. And if he does try to do it with, say, someone like Sam or one of the young guys that come through, it could be something that like ends their, their top career. But he obviously must have something because he's kind of convinced Eric Cartano that he can play MLS. <laughs> well, okay. I don't think I don't think I don't think he really broke Tiber down. Martin, I agree with that. I, I, Martin, I don't get that. Martin's, ph- Martin's philosophy is 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 a, that's more of a negative philosophy. His philosophy is more of a positive philosophy of how do we build everyone up, and it's a and it's a di- extremely difficult juggling act because you can only have eighteen players in the match day squad. You can only have eleven in the starting lineup, and yet you have a thirty player roster. So. For him, it's how can and so how can I encourage best these thirty players or twenty seven players or whatever it is at a time, like when they're all in these different places. How can how can I keep the morale? Uh, how can I keep them in a positive frame of mind, uh, the, the best as possible? And you're gonna have kind of ups and downs to that. And yeah, the, so, the coaching staff essentially breaking Tiber down was essentially telling Tiber he was playing like crap and he better play better or else he's gonna be cut. That's and, and that's not really breaking so, it down anybody. That's so not I, helping sell anybody. Maybe he broke down after he heard that. <laughs> yeah. So that's the other thing too about about and, and I've heard I think Peter talk about it recently in the last couple of weeks or, or so or Jason the boss actually and, and Luke Wildman. But I, one of the great things about Rennie is he's brought it's and it's great when you talk to them individually or you talk to players because you hear the different perspective. Is Rennie works with like he's obviously the guy who has to make the final decision but he works it's a team his coaching staff so they'll they'll have they'll have conversations where uh where they're like okay what do you think when we were in crisis at center back okay here's an example of one that i heard about we're we're, we're in crisis at center back who thinks who thinks uh you know jun can can fill in who think who thinks tommy heineman's a good like uh, uh not, not fill in but like an emergency center back Right, no, and so they so, me have to see them play that that friendly for yeah. the, the so they have these conversations, and then you hear, okay, this coach is this perspective, this coach is this perspective, but this coach is this perspective, and so ultimately Martin says, and sometimes it's great because they're not. Sometimes you get three perspectives or four perspectives if you include Jake in that, right? And so you, I I think that has been beneficial, um, and I think uh, part of me wonders how how much of some of these decisions have been like. All, all Martin or Martin saying, okay, both Paul and Carl are really big on this, or both Paul and Carl are are really really see the positive to that. I'm gonna go with that as opposed to like his. his well, you, would, you hope that's how he does it, and but the one, still, one but thing he's still making the decision. I know, that yeah. Paul, Paul and Carl, are and ultimately good. he'll be accountable for yeah. that. Oh yeah, but like one thing, like to answer Jay's question, whenever you sit and you listen to Martin speak, he is captivating. Mm-hmm. It's so, like we, we've yeah. been at a lot of things where he's like done little chats with the media or he's done things with fans and you just have to spend five, ten minutes in the room with him and you're kind of like eating out of his hand. He is such a great speaker and you can kind of understand like when all these players came from Carolina and they were like, yeah, we'd go anywhere that Martin was, want to, to support him and stuff. It's partly because he's a sales guy and I was in sales myself 
back in Scotland for a while and it's like you have to have that that's a tough gig yeah (laughs) but you have to have that patter you have to have the building the rapport and stuff and that's what he does and he really he is he's very captivating so how does that translate (laughs) how does that translate though on on the pitch then is what I'm saying is it like he can be as a media guy as a coach dealing with the media and stuff yeah he's wonderful like you know, he speaks really well, he, he, all that kind of stuff. But if if it isn't resulting in your marginal players that you've signed because you're not a great talent acquisition guy or whatever, whatever your weaknesses are, if you can't turn those marginal guys into all really giving their all and, and really buying into what you're selling and, and you, you guys are, you know, hitting outside your weight class, then what's the point? If if that's your thing and it doesn't work, true. There's a there's a kind of folklore story. I don't know if it's if it's true or not, but apparently years ago in Scotland, this player was injured. He had a concussion. They had no subs left. He was off the pitch. So the manager was just like, "Okay, who are you?" And doing all the tests. Like, I don't know who I am. So he told his assistant, assistant coach, "Put him back on the pitch. Tell me he's Pelly." <laughs> and that's kind of how I think Martin works he tells players how they're good he builds up their confidence but ultimately if they haven't got the skill they are going to be let down and I think we've seen that with too many players this year well I think you know that works for a certain level right it's like you know you see uh, US is big with the NCAA and Caleb of course being you know a, a, the example of the exception that makes the rule, but how many coaches can't make that leap? At some point, you've reached your plateau, right? Where, yeah, a younger guy or a guy who's got this much talent is going to believe he's this much, right? But you, you can't go to Wayne Gretzky for uh, lack of a Canadian soccer example, so I'll have to use a hockey example because, you know, Simon Jackson, what, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, go to that top player and say, you know, you're so good, you're way better than you think you are, right? Because that's not going to work at a certain level because someone's yeah. going to have a strong enough ego, a healthy enough self-confidence that, you know, your smoke's not going far up my ass. And right? I think that is spirit. Like, you've hit the nail on the head there at a certain level. Yeah. Like, Rennie's had a lot of success in the lower levels because this stuff works. I've seen it myself. Like, back in his five, we won promotion in 2002 with a terrible squad. But we actually had a manager very much like Martin Rennie. He had all these motivational things up in the dressing room. It was all about psychological things. And he had them playing as a team. He had them believing in themselves. And they got the job done. And that's at a lower level. But when you're then up against better players, it doesn't work. And not only just better players technically, but we're talking about professionals. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, Robbie Keane. And we're talking about... You know, guys who have done, done it before. Yeah. They know what it takes to win. And they know if they go down or they have a whole bunch of whippersnappers barking up their butt on the field, they're not going to get rattled by it and go, oh, well, I guess we'll pack her in today. Yeah. And, like, King gets a hard time here because a lot of folk think he's arrogant and... He is. He like, is, but he's good. Too. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. after the recent That's, game here... You know, we, like he was being interviewed and he was like you weren't given an assist for that goal yeah. I said like, ah, doesn't matter I've got nine anyway yeah. and that's, that's the kind of arrogance you need well you know when we got rid of Leighton Win, and then when he came here and people were all like I'm glad we got rid of him because I hate it he's such an ass and it's like that's what you want yeah. I want 11 guys on the pitch that 19 or 18 other cities are going to hate those freaking 11 yeah. guys because they're so hard to play 
they're so freaking arrogant and confident and strut around and they never lose, right? Because they walk around like that, right? I would take Keen for sure. Yeah. I would take, no question asked. Yeah, he's a prick when he's not playing for us, but, you know, put him in a white cap jersey and, hey, I'm a big fan. Would I, you take for Ferreira, though? No. And that's funny because I actually was thinking of those th- sorts of things the other day. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, well, I guess I was watching that Dallas match, but... You know, no, I wouldn't. Like, there's a certain line where you have to say, how can you cheer for that? Like, well, how like can Perez, you accept that? I, I feel like that with Perez. Ferreira, I would maybe take, but Perez no, for me is not. I would take those, neither. Both of those guys. Yeah. Both those guys to me are so, like, below a, a moral, ethical level. I can understand, like, drawing attention to things. Like, the ref, you know, he's pulling my shirt, right? I can see drawing attention to a foul. Okay. Which is why I don't have issue with Camilo. I I take issue with like flat out dives, fake. But Camilo okay, has done that too. Okay, yeah, and so not untouched though. And mm-hmm. I've I've put that offer out there on uh, Facebook and Twitter and everything. Show me somebody. Show me nobody can. Nobody can show me a dive. Okay, but to be fair, and I'm not saying I disagree with you, Steve, in terms of wanting to support that. But that's an ethnocentric perspective. I can't access it anymore, but I, during the 2010 World Cup, I wrote a blog for the Sun or whatever about this. Like, to do those things, it were uh, so in Panama or in, uh, where's David Ferrer from Colombia? Oh, yeah, I'm not from Panama. No, 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 I'm just saying. I'm saying me and the white cats. No, I know, but to, but, but to say, so they are living out their culture. Yeah. In, in, those, in those cultures, yeah. if you can cheat or con the referee, you are considered clever, and that's a positive thing. Right. If you get caught, you get caught. Yeah, but if you can cheat the referee, you are clever. It's a it's a positive attribute. Sure. So to say that that's and if you stick a straw in a cow's neck and drink its blood in some cultures, it's uh, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's talking about me. That's not to do with football. There's culture. There's football in our culture, and so I think I think that that's a, a, a difficult thing. I'm not, I'm I'm not yeah. saying I disagree with you in terms of wanting to support that or wanting that in our club. But yeah. we got to be careful but when we're talking about... about I, I don't think so. I think we need to dictate what we would cheer for. And if uh, Ferreira signed with... For our club, yeah. For our club. I wouldn't support him. I also I saw just... Him. I know this is probably we're way off topic, but when just before the Dallas game, uh, Pete, Shad was to, Pete Shad was talking to the play-by-play guy, and he made a big point about how, you know, Ferreira has had a really tough year. He's the most fouled player in the MLS and, like, I was like wishing Pete Shad would say, well, there's a reason he's the most foul player because he's like, you know, even when guys aren't touching him, he's falling to the ground. Yeah. And for some reason, the MLS refs are buying it all over the place. Yeah, that, that, It kind of brings around an interesting point then. Would you, do you want the Whitecaps to win at all costs or do you want them to have a moral obligation to play the game properly? For me, I don't care how they win as long so, as they get the win. What was the Charles BK done? Was it... Oh, Butu? Yeah. Uh, Wesley Charles? Was it Wesley? Yeah, Wesley Charles. Oh. That wait, was wait, wait, dive? The you? dive. The dive right in front of Oh, the, it was BK. It was, was BK, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was painful. Yeah, that was. Swanger? Yeah. Was it in the cup? It was in the cup. Yeah. He's so dope, and it was so painful, and it's like, yeah, to this Did day. Did he get booked? No, he didn't get booked. No, he didn't get booked. We got the penalty. Oh, yeah. He okay. scored on the penalty. So, Jamie, would you, would you want a team that just wins? That's, you know, I, like, I, I, I'm going to say yes, 
I, I, I like when at all costs. I don't care. Uh, but I also wouldn't take David Ferreira. I, so maybe I guess the real answer is yeah. no. I wouldn't take Ferreira. Uh, and quite frankly, I wouldn't take Lenhardt either. Uh, I think he is just a complete... I like his style. Uh, like, I like a guy who gets stuck in and will go for every header. But, like, not only does he dive and flop around and, and all that kind of stuff. If you're going to play that, like, tough guy thing, play the tough guy thing. Mm -hmm. And when you get a little bit of an elbow back, suck it up. Yeah, because don't whine and, don't yeah. whine and flop around and dive. And, and in addition to that, he's done some pretty nasty, nasty stuff, yeah. like intent to injure guys. And that's not what I'm, what I'm about. What I did like was when uh, Argentinian guy, that we, uh, that we bonjour, bonjour, last year. You remember when he oh, walked oh, up to yeah. Wando? Yeah. yeah. It was Wando, I believe, who <clears throat> was coming in. And he was on a, just an unreal hot streak. And he was, he, bonjour was in a real tough spot. And he just like... Oh, we're trying to do shoulder to shoulder there, ref. Sorry, and he just plowed right through this solar plex. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. No problem with that. And that's, and that's we, illegal. Yeah, and you can't do that. But that's when it all costs. And I, I think there's a line there. I want people to put it all out for, for the club, for the crest, for their teammates. But I don't want to want to see like the, the intent of the game just get pissed on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of, one of the things I was going to ask about. There's no point because we all know the answer. It's like which positions do we need to strengthen for next year? So we know it's the fullbacks, we know it's the midfield, but we've missed that in the like a bonjour tackler. I know he wasn't a midfielder, but we need someone in the middle that is not afraid to put himself about, goes in hard but fair. Real well, cold but you, go ahead, right? Yeah, look at Johnny yeah. in the Olympics, man. Like, look at him going against Spain and stuff. And I think right now it's a matter of learning the language, learning the culture. Because you look you at he could do that and you us? look at him at that age in 2012, you know, and just I can't remember who, you know, it's the Olympics, so you remember certain names and whatnot because they're not all stars, or at least not yet. But one of the one of the Honduran players getting taken out in that Spanish game and him running right up into their 60-yard sprint to get in the face there. Run or Johnny? Or? Well, <laughs> Johnny, Johnny run. Johnny run. Yeah. Everybody else jog. Yeah. So he got right up there, right? And right in the face. And I think he's going to bring that to the squad. And I think when Jay's healthy and playing and he'll get a sense of that, of what is culture here? What does it mean to play soccer in North America? I think another in, guy... In who, Northern North America. Another, another, another guy, another guy who has potential to do that in the midfield as well is Gersh Coffey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He just needs to control his elbows a little bit more mm -hmm. and not flail around a little when he's going up for those because so, the referees see that and that's when he gets carded and stuff like I, that. I but I think he's concerned. got potential... He's got potential to be that guy who gets stuck in, be physical, and he actually doesn't go down easily either. Yeah. No, but he also picks up a lot of bookings as has. Well, that's because he's he's, he's, he's kind of out of control when he does go up in the air. If he could stay compact when he goes up in the air, his timing is off a bit. On a little bit off. Tackles once in a while. It's but that, that happens with all young watch. guys, right? So if you if you keep Nigel and keep him in the middle of the park, he he's he, he could do that to some degree too. Is that like he will really get stuck in? Like he got, he made that tackle on Cronin earlier in San Jose, and he didn't get a card or anything. No supplementary discipline. 
and he made that guy go flying. He was yeah. a clean tackle. So I mean, that, to me, that's still tackle of the season. That's yeah, it was a good tackle. Highlight yeah. of the season. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of people, like especially in the UK, which was surprised me, was the, the horror tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's it, like media. Sensationalist. Yeah. yeah. For the record, I think Johnny has deceptive... Deceptive, deceptive pace. Yeah, so no, he I, does. Well, I, I don't understand I don't, the whole pace thing yeah. that keeps coming up. It's because his build, right? That was yeah. a, that was a he's, all, yeah. he's, he's too smooth, and that's why he makes it. He's also, he, when, he, when he running fast, it makes it look like he's jogging. Yeah. He's, he's also kind of like Andy in that he doesn't really need to run very much because he's yeah. in the right position. Yeah. He, he's yeah. he's so intelligent for yeah. his and, position. And so, let's compare him to other uh, holding midfielders like Drew Marcus Davidson. How, how much pace does that guy have? Yeah. So yeah, he, but he's people, in the right place. Well, just because he hasn't moved for the last 20 minutes, he's still at the top of the box. A lot of things are tactical too, right? And learning like where you are. So like plays, I can't remember the goal, but I know, you know, Johnny shut the guy down on the wing and then the guy cut in and is like, why didn't you shut him down and play hard, whatever. And it's like, okay. So, you know, playing in a more uh, cultured soccer background right what are you going to be taught you're going to be taught to cut off that wing and force him back to the defenders of the center mid right so not having that support there might look the center back or the left back or the right back whichever back is back there might make them look bad because that support's not there but he's done exactly what he's supposed to do right so now he needs to learn the same way Kenny need to learn that I'm not going to get great service here. So I need to adapt yeah. to that, right? Or I don't have the other strikers around me exactly. that have a clue what's going on in my head. Exactly. So I need to adapt to that, right? Because you see sometimes where he makes a little flick on and it's like, <laughs> right? Well, what are you doing? Yeah. Right? Why did you stop that run, you know? Okay, so uh, we talked we talked about the potential positions that the we're going to dummy. And the, I have to do this one because sure, the, I can't remember the match, but the dummy <laughs> to the June Marcus Davidson, where June was first time ever I saw him within twenty yards of the attacking net, and Kenny dummied it, but June stopped on the eighteen yard box. Right? Do you remember that? Because the invisible like, force field that they yeah. left behind, <laughs> and Kenny was like. What are you doing? Don't make that run that I'm going to see and then stop it where I can't see you. Because right? they're just no use to it. So yeah. we talked about the positions that we seem to strengthen. The big question is, and we talked about this a little earlier in the, in the previous podcast as well, will Martin Randy be here to make those changes? And if the, we've already talked about will, whether he'll, everybody thinks about it. Most people think he's not going to be here because he's not going to be able to live up to what he's posted this year. Are there any coaching candidates that you think would be a good fit for this place? People have mentioned, obviously, the one that's the one Canadian guy that's available right now is Frank Yallop. I think Although you, he's English. you rumored that he, uh, Jason Christ was rumored. Jason Christ hasn't signed a contract yet with Real Salt Lake for next season, which has got everyone rumored he's He can go somewhere else, but would you really want to leave Salt Lake to come to the Whitecaps? If well, it was if you're looking at the city, likely, if right. you're looking at cities, <laughs> then you, maybe you would. Oh, that's true. Where you're living. Yeah. But okay, then you've also got like people have uh, the rumor that Dominic Kinnear is going to go to San Jose mm-hmm. at the end of the year. That makes Mark Watson available, who's done a really good job with San Jose um, at home. At if Watson so, took so, San Jose. To so those are some of the options. Home. Is there anybody else? Do you think they should get somebody outside MLS? Do you think it should be? somebody from within MLS, I don't think it should be, personally, I don't think it should be somebody from the lower leagues at all. I think they need to get somebody established, but who do you think they I should I don't think get? they can, they can 
if if we've seen anything from Leonard Doozy and and the rest of the the Whitecaps front office, it's it's they they really do appear to listen to what the critics and the everybody is saying. And it's like, okay, okay, we made too many off season changes, so you know we're gonna we're we're not gonna make any many next season. And and okay, okay, our our DPS haven't been good, so uh, I don't think we're gonna sign any more DPS. So you guys just don't worry about it. We're not gonna waste our money. And, and I don't know how much it is in the media. I think part of that is self realization. Just self realization. And, and those yeah. are those are all things that we all kind of agree on. Yeah. So it, it's hard to necessarily to blame them. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just saying that they what is going to come out of this is going to say, look, we need to go and get ourselves an experienced guy. It, it, probably an experienced guy from within the MLS or some guy who has MLS experience. And if not. Somebody who has had some some very serious experience in it, you know, European or uh, maybe Central American like Mexico, but probably even not. Probably a European league or an MLS league. That's the only way they're going to go. They, they, they don't want to risk doing this other, well, we're going to try, you know, building with this new coach again. It's, it's going to be tough to find anybody with really good MLS experience that isn't already with a club, I think. Yeah. And if they're not with a club, why are they not with a club? Yeah. And it could work if they have like somebody with experience at the top and then bring a young guy in, but then would it work because it's interfering and it hasn't worked with some other clubs? Yallop, I don't think is the ideal candidate now. I think he would maybe have been back in 2011. Now I don't think he is. But I think the pressure from the media here is going to talk about Yallop. That's all they're going to talk about for the, in the next couple of weeks. Yallop's available. He's friends with Leonard Doozy. He's got experience. He'll come in. And it might be hard. And you'll probably saying, play the Canadians, too. Yeah. And you're saying they listen to the media. If the media build up a Yallop frenzy, it might be hard for them not to go with them. Now, when I was mentioning candidates, you really shook your head at Mark Watson. Was there a reason why? No, I just don't think he's... A, I mean, he played, it was great to support him for the year he played here a few years ago. And I, I love and appreciate him, but I don't think he's at a, I don't think he has experience to, for, for where we're at and where we need to grow to. I don't okay. think this is a time... It's same is, with Dasso. I love I really love Dasso and I think he's an awesome guy and done some great things with our... Uh, national under twenty and stuff, whatever. I don't think this is the time for them here. I could see, I could see any of those three down the road, maybe. But who do you think? Do you have I, any well, ideas? Personally, no, no. Obviously, you think Rennie's going to stay. I think. I think. Rennie's like, remind, remind me. Is, do we know? Is he under contract? Is it a club option this year? How did somebody know? said there's a been, termination yeah, contract? There's been rumors that he isn't on a contract at the end of this year, so they can get rid of him in December if they want. Okay. So yeah, I think ideally he'll be back, but I think um, I think I of all the names that I've heard and the people I've thought about, the one that I'm not necessarily like excited about for personal reasons, but the one I think who could maybe do a job here uh, would be like a Bob Bradley. But I don't think Bob's gonna leave Egypt on the verge of the World Cup or whatever, right? No. Well, it depends if it develops into more chaos there. I guess. That's true. Is that he might want just to get see this as a chance to get out. Uh, yeah. How about that Montreal coach, Jesse Marsh? Not a chance. No. Not a chance. No. I don't think he's a. Is there anyone in the lower divisions, D two, D three, that would be worth a, a shot? No. I mean, who's the manager for Orlando? I couldn't even tell you who that is, but I mean, he's done well. 
Does he deserve a bigger show? No, those it gets back to the same old scenario, right? Where you go into a league like that and you can spend or find play, like the chill, right? You get a bunch of twenty-eight-year-old Brazilians and you. <laughs> we waited an hour and fifty minutes. <laughs> well, it's easier, easier to go into a league where you can go. We've got this to offer and put players into that place, which is what Orlando is, right? We might yeah. get the MLS, so we can sign all these guys with these dreams who might be a level above the other players and. USL Pro. And they're getting good attendance. So yeah, exactly, and... right? Is there a bet that I would mention it? <laughs> well, well, I was going to say Tony Calistro could be the new white cap coach. He's <laughs> the most successful coach in Canada. How about Maybe, Paul Marner? Even a... Oh. <laughs> I could, the, do, like, do, do we want someone Pricky. to go drinking with the players? Pricky. They rumored uh, Bruce Arena to TFC, and that was not not because of any you know direct connection, but just that they could see. Well, like, yeah, who, who, right. Yeah, I I just mean that there's not like anything pending. They they don't. It's not like Arena hasn't said, "Oh, I'm out of here." Just that, like, especially if they they could win another championship this year. So they've won you know two in a row. They could won three. I, at, at some point, maybe he wants a challenge, and well, that's a challenge. TFC would be a challenge, yeah. but especially with all the salary that they've been shedding, that's you got an open cup, you got twenty five million dollars and tons of roster space. Yeah, so he could he could choose exactly what he wants with all the money in the world. Unlimited limited DPS, limited yeah. somewhat in in Vancouver, but he might see the same thing. We don't have the same roster thing, yeah. but Vancouver is always been that second tier of money spending not the big guys eight million nine million dollars but i think it's been pretty clear that hey we'll spend money you guys want to if you want to spend money you're going to win us games you're going to get us really quality players we're going to we'll we'll be okay spending money so i could see bruce arena saying maybe i should give this a go i don't agree that we have like spent money i think we've kind of been a bit cheap and I also think we've got a problem in that we're not going to get any big name players here because of the turf. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to want to come. So that's always going to be like to our detriment. And at the moment, Toronto's got grass, whether they'll, they'll have it with all this stuff about the Argos going to play there, which would be hilarious. But I don't know. It's You can't see somebody like Arena, even with all that money at his disposal, leaving something like LA without maybe wanting to look at going into the international team. If if Klinsman was maybe to step down well, after the World done, Cup, right? Once, right. Uh, this would be a good time for him to go back. Oh, he's getting on a bit as well. We might want to just call it a day, or maybe take more of a manager, like a technical yeah. director role. Somewhere yeah. So you could maybe see that at TFC mm. if he'd be happy to do that. I was just floating him out as a candidate yeah. that that might might be looking to move on. If I, they want to go for because I could I could see Leonard Doozy calling call Bruce Arena and saying. You know, how, what's it going to take to bring you up here? Because I think that's the kind of guy that they want. This guy's got lots of. Nobody can question the, you know, credentials of our coach. I'm not sure I could really interview him, though. He reminds me of Droopy. Mm. <laughs> he so is you, devoid of character, so, isn't he? Yes. So you, met, you mentioned another name here that is un, like seemingly untouchable in Vancouver in terms of this club because of what he did as a player and what he's done in terms of the. Saving, saving the uh, yeah, coaching and then saving the <coughs> yeah. club during that the the dodgy 
He's an ace in the hole, though, right? Like, if I'm like, if I'm the PR branch of the Whitecaps, yeah. connected with ownership, and I've got Leonard Doozy, I fire him a month before the season. I'm on the front page of the newspaper, right during the Canucks playoff run. He's the guy who you fire Leonard Doozy. Boom! Biggest yeah, media in the city. Like, do you, oh do yeah, you, he's of, for sure. Okay, yes. of the sixteen thousand season ticket holders. How uh, many sorry, of them? Sorry, what, how much? Oh, what, 13,000. 13,000. 13,000. We have to get that. That's including season ticket equivalents. But. Okay, you're missing my point here. So of the 13,000 season ticket holders and the 16 or 17,000 regulars who come to every game, does that Appreciate work better Appreciate for you? It. Okay. Yeah. Of those those people who show up, how many of them are emotionally attached to Leonard Easy? Well, it's not, I don't even think it's a matter of being emotionally attached to it. It's one of those things that, you know, your local grocery store closes down that you've taken for granted all these years and you're like, whoa, right? So is, can you like think of a person in Vancouver attached to soccer who's more known in the community than him? And I'm not saying he should go. Other no, no. Oh, neither am I. Valentine may be the only other guy. Well, I'm Zach. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. Well, to be honest, uh, and I'm, I, I don't know how. I honestly don't know what he does day to day. But to me, and this is not to be disparaging, but Leonard Doozy is essentially Carl Valentine in a tie. No, no, no. Okay, then I could be wrong. But that's the. He's be, I, I see him as a figurehead mostly, he's who does that. make decisions. Yeah. But is a, mostly a figurehead at the top, and that's why he's a little bit untouchable. So one of the things that came up this week, talking about stuff that happening off the field, is an article by uh, Ben Massey, uh, one of our, uh, should I say friends? Were we allowed to say friends? He's a friend of the show. Sure. Zach's calling people in Seattle. He's been on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have friends everywhere, man. Ben Massey, otherwise known as Lord Bob, uh, wrote an article on Maple Leaf Forever about him not renewing his season ticket because he's just tired of the way MLS is. Uh, operating about how they're coming up with new rules. It was, that, that day it was the League DP thing, but he also mentioned about which, of course, has now been refuted. Yeah. refuted by the league, which we don't know. Yeah, we don't know if the league is just because they a lot of people have uh, said that it is true that what is going on. But okay, so it's the League DP thing. Plus, he mentioned the Seattle uh, slush fund and everything like that. So, does MLS need to have more transparency? When it comes to these kind of dealings, or is it just going to be the way it is that they don't really care what people think? Well, I think for the growth of the league, you know, people like to, you know, fantasy sports and all this online chats and all that sort of stuff. So you need to have information to do your, uh, what, armchair uh, GM or whatever, right? So I think it's important to, to have that transparency for the league so you can speculate on those things and... You know, it makes creates a buzz, right? If people can talk about trades with some kind of understanding of how it actually works, yeah. right? You know, no one even knows what the salary, like you don't know what the salary cap is because they have this number in there that's like, you know, got so many loopholes through it that it's like it doesn't exist, right? I, I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate here because generally I agree with Ben. I think uh, the league is... is completely out to lunch with how they're handling most of these situations, especially like the Dempsey thing with the $9 million maybe paid by the league, not by the club and all that kind of stuff. But it, the league 
as it stands, is a business. And they own the majority of every single one of the teams. And they are in they are working towards the best interests of the entire MLS brand. And the entire MLS brand is better if they can bring in players who are big name guys who even if it's just a few you know thousand new fans will watch the next NBC uh, soccer game on Saturday night because they've because Dempsey's playing and oh I want to see Dempsey playing well that's great for the MLS that that's what they're going for they're hoping that more people are going to tune in because of this stuff and they want to keep bringing in these players so to 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 play devil's advocate they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do in in that they're building their brand of the MLS. Unfortunately, that comes at the expense of the the have-nots, let's call it, in some cases. The, the unfashionable the, clubs, like the Columbuses and the... No, but the thing is, is, is <laughs> the one thing is, is they, yeah. they, they put in these rules to say that everybody's got a shot. Like, essentially, when Dempsey came back, Whoever the lowest team was at that point, they should have got a shot at him. And if they didn't get a shot, there should have been some kind of trade worked out. And there was no trade worked out for anybody. Okay, but apparently if it's a DP signing, it doesn't have to go through it's, the allocation but he, but roster, which is what other GMs, I think, um, was it Caleb Porter See, that's, that's where all the confusion is coming from for that. I agree. It's, 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 it's BS that we're even having to talk about this. Right. That we're having to, that, that, you know, there's five guys in this room who are, are generally understanding of the league and we follow it really closely and we don't even know the exact workings of how this is all supposed to yeah. go. I agree that that's BS, but what I'm saying is that's why the league's doing it and I sort of understand why they're doing it that way. Well, in a natural evolution, so here, like in my ideal uh, situation of how it all plays out is the Cosmos come in, they put together some $15 million team in NASL because there's no cap. They dominate the U.S. Open Cup. They go into the CCL. Maybe they even win it and go to the World Cup Championship, right? World Club Championship. Maybe LA comes in with an NASL team and you got your WHA NHL scenario. And that pushes the whole thing up, right? You know, it pushes the whole North American soccer envelope because you got the plucky underdog that's not really the underdog because they've got all the money, right? And then you've got your solid foundation with MLS, right? So MLS's role in that is maintaining that solid foundation and having that other entity come in and push the envelope, right? It could be Orlando. Maybe you have four or five teams in NASL that are totally non-viable over the long haul like WHA wasn't, but at the same time creates a new and better, you know, league with a different structure maybe at that point, right? But it's got to play out, I think. And I agree with you in that sense and that, yeah, you have to have rules. You have to have a salary cap, but within that salary cap, you can't say... You know, uh, I don't know, Messi uh, knocks up an American girl and wants to move to Chicago and you're going to say, oh, sorry, we can't afford you here. No, you jump at that and whatever you have to do, whatever rule you need to create to get him to playing in Chicago. We'll pay. Even you in Chicago. Yeah. yeah, I don't care what it is, right? So you've got to have that ability, but, you know, you've got to be open and honest about that. Here's our rules. You know, this is how it plays out. This is allocation money. This is all this stuff. This is what the fans need to know. 
also know when we're presented with the opportunity to have probably one of the best American players in history come back and play in relatively his prime, you know, then we're going to do it, right? But you can't have a situation, which seems to happen every year, where there's at least one rule comes out that you've never heard of before. At the yeah. start of the season, it was all this, hey, we can use money to buy contracts without making them into designated players. Yeah, the whole retention fund thing, it's like that was, that's ridiculous. No one had ever heard of that. And then we find out we've done it with Gerson Kofi. And it's like, what other things are out there that we have no idea about? Yeah. And the other, the, the, one of the biggest rules, uh, dumbest rule changes was on the, the fact that on the field was last year when they changed the whole tiebreaker situation from goal differential to goal scored four. Yeah. And, and then that, that affected the game. That affected, which yeah. Which don't even know about. And then that affected on-field performance. I can yeah. understand the off-field stuff, but now on-field on you're affecting it. So that that's like... They gotta set the rules and not change them in the middle of the year. I don't like the fact that MLS own the clubs. Do you think there's ever gonna be a situation where the league do not own the players, do not own the clubs, and they're all just ran in independent? There has to be. Oh, that there has, has to be the exit strategy. Yeah, yeah. 10, 15 years. I think it's gonna take 10 years yeah. before they even try to do that. Once they get all the teams in there, establish them and make sure everybody's strong on their feet and they have proper owners everywhere. And I, and I don't know if you have any, you know, kind of hints on this from the FO side of things but you know a couple of years ago there was apparently only like three of the clubs were actually making money every year uh, a lot of the clubs were pretty close breaking even almost you know value of the club may be increasing but they're operating at a slight loss but they're not going to do that until every single or not every single one of the clubs but 80% of their clubs are going to be in the black every year and it's, they're comfortable saying, okay, even if you guys don't have the big bankroll behind you to support $5 million of losses every year, we want to make sure that your club is going to stay there for the next 20 years. Now we can sell you that, you know, and they'll maybe do a tier approach. We sell you, you know, 5% a year for the next 10 years. You can still share funds like the NFL. They're, they're individual owners, but they share a lot of the league revenues. So you can still share yeah. stuff and allocate stuff to different teams and have like a soft yeah. cap, so yeah. that so that play, if they want to bring in you know players above the cap, it just gets distributed amongst the other the group. Exactly, yeah, that's fine. Michael, how did uh, Caitlin appreciate uh, her Christmas gift of allocation money? She she spent it wisely. Okay, um, I told her to knock herself out and just go and buy whatever she wanted, yeah. and she bought a lovely pair of invisible shoes. Nice mm. from Toronto. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think with I they think broke. <laughs> I think with she I, can get some at the supplementary store next year, right? Probably, yeah. she might have a second or a third choice. I'm not yeah. sure, depending on the thing they finish. I think MLS is kind of like this necessary evil. Or she get imports as long as they got green cards. <laughs> she could pick up a pair of Clazuras. <laughs> <laughs> They're the, the hot property. Do you let her buy one set a year that's over $100? Call it her designated shoe? Yeah, and also I thought that we could maybe get her a pair of Hurtados, but there's no touch of them. <laughs> oh my. The uh, Darnmatic shoes are great. You can run all day. You can't do much else with them, but you can run all day. This is a whole, a whole segment in the song.
This um, segment has been brought to you by <laughs> Shoe Warehouse. <laughs> Pay less shoe. Um, okay, well, one question I had before I reiterate my theory. Do, do the current owners of the Cosmos Club brand, they don't have that kind of money, do they? The $15 million you're talking about? They're not that kind of people as far as I understand at the moment, right? Who knows who they might get involved? Because this is a chance for them to, like, they're pissed off because they didn't get the... Yeah. The franchise, so they can go and show up this new club by going and getting all these players. But are you really be able to get? Awesome. Are you really be able to get players to play NASL? Well, if, if you're paying, paying him paying twice money. what he's worth. Yeah. Look at the folks going to China. Yeah, what? So what? All those players that went to China, they're not going. Oh, yeah. So you look at though the players in the world, the whole world, and you look at what does it take to win the Concacaf football championship? Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, how much money does it cost to build that team? Yeah. That's you get all those right? players from Turkey and Romania yeah. that never get paid. I remember Daniel Daniel Pranic when he was leaving Bayern was offered he was offered I think five million euros a year, and like all his costs were covered. It was like five hundred like pure profit to play in China, which was like, like asinine. Well, God knows what he got for doing that. Yeah. Um, I think MLS is uh, like a, a necessary evil as an entity right now or as a, as a league or whatever and I'd love to hear it's good to hear people say yeah I hope this is a, is a, a season where this is necessary and it you know goes away because I think too many people I hear or read or see just say oh this is how it is and it's always going to be this way and I really hope not so much like I really hope what you're saying in terms of like maybe um, they'll be pressured into or pushed into a better structures obviously as football supporters there's a dream of things like promotion and relegation one day in north america that i think would be meaningful whether or not a soccer stadium a football a football ground yeah. in in vancouver would be nice yeah one day yeah. that's a I, i'd love to see how low down the pyramid toronto could go <laughs> that yeah. would be fantastic i think i think here would be a slow promotion relegation where you have like just two, two, well, two oh, that's the, one, one thing I'll tell you, right I, I, don't, I don't think promotion relegation will ever happen no, in North no. America. It's not the mentality of North America. I don't think it, it will, will, but I long for it. To it, it will kill one of those franchises that gets promoted or relegated. No, I mean like a Columbus. People will stop going I want to see Toronto FC play none of it United in the Ice Cap League or whatever, Iceberg, Poor Bear division. Sure. It would, it would be nice. It would be nice. It would be nice for things to get to a place though, where that even if Columbus is in Division Three, that people care so much about their local football club that they're they're there to support. Maybe it's not this. The ground is packed, but it's at least yeah. Well, they they had that really good rap song at the start of the season. I think uh, I think it's sad that Ben won't have a season ticket next year. As much as um, I I think his perspective is not always the same as mine. Like I, I think it's too bad that his voice connected to the first team won't, won't be there or won't be the same because he's not at every match and I think that's I understand why and the principle his principles behind that but I think it's kind of like sad for our community here like I think that's not the you don't want to see people drop out you want to see yeah you want to see you want to see it grow and um, yeah yeah that's the point of you know building SFU and UBC and the chill you know, building those clubs and having uh, that's another five bucks, man. <laughs> yeah. 
but that's the point of that is creating that you know trying to be a part of it and growing that you know and you need more people on board but i think you know with ben i mean he's you know he'll be at other events and others so he'll still be a part of it and oh it's not like he's done yeah. yeah yeah true well I think we've had a really good chat. We've kind of overran more. I'd hope to make this a half-hour podcast, but we seem to be at an hour and 15 minutes. So it's been a good chat, and hopefully everyone at home has enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed making it. If yeah, you're take driving, your time, listen to it slowly. You don't yeah. have to listen to everything at once. Yeah, and if you're driving in your car, remember you can get this on Stitcher Radio, and you can listen to it at your leisure. So I want to thank my guests for, for joining us. Head honcho, Zach. <laughs> Head and hands, Honcho Zach. Uh, tell us all about Curva. Uh, it's a, it's great to be a part of a movement of supporters of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, that is Curva Collective. And uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Curva Collective. Or you can find myself personally at Zachary AM. Definitely worth a follow. And if you want to enjoy a Whitecaps game for the rest of the season, try and get near the Curva. Connect with us if you want tickets in this section. Yep, Zach will get you sorted. You have to pay for it, but he'll get you sorted. <laughs> and someone else that you can find down in the Curva section is Stephen. Uh, that's at S-S-S-L-A-M-O at Slamo on Twitter. And yeah, so, you know, uh, follow me if you like swearing. And someone who doesn't have to swear to get his point across, but he does anyway. Jay, where can we find you? I, uh, I'm at J underscore Duke on Twitter. And uh, I write occasionally for AFTN on Canadian Soccer News. And my wonderful bearded co-host, Steve. At Whitecaps Beat. That's enough. Have a okay. good night. You can also read his stuff on Prost America and on EFTN. He's shy about that for some reason. And my name's Michael. You can find me on Twitter at EFTN Canada. Read all our stuff online on Canadian Soccer News at EFTN.ca. Drop us an email at EFTNCanada at hotmail.com. Just like to thank all the guys for giving up a couple of hours to do these two podcasts, which you have heard last week and this week. Big thanks to the Owells as well for doing our theme tune. Hopefully we can get a winning end to the season with the Whitecaps. We haven't covered that much in this episode because we recorded this before the San Jose game. So you're either happy, sad, looking forward to Montreal, or like me, depressed as usual. So until next time, take care and thanks for listening. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.